Namo tasa bhagavato alahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato samma sambuddhasa Bodhang Dhammang Sanghang Namasami This is uh, the last talk of this year's Rains Retreat. Uh, tomorrow is the, the Pawarana Day. Even this evening the moon is very full. Another Rains Retreat is over and hopefully that some of you have can actually look back upon this range retreat and seen some progress in your meditation some deepening in your wisdom so that you can see that uh, you have been practicing in the, the way of the Lord Buddha I have been talking with many of you in the interview periods that the the job of or the uh, point where you should always focus and concentrate is to create the causes which give rise to uh, the marvelous experiences which are the mile uh, the mile <coughs> the milestones along the the way and those uh, milestones, those markers on the, the journey are things like jhanas, they're the deep insights, they're the stages of uh, stream enter, once return and non-return and arahat. These are stages which the Buddha uh, expounded, explained, pointed out and encouraged. But there is a difference between sometimes aspiring for the goal and putting your effort in bringing out the causes which give rise to that goal. And it's a common experience with many meditators. I've heard it many times and it's an experience which I had to uh, solve myself in my own practice. It was the first time that you get into beautiful states of meditation. Sometimes that for a long time afterwards it's hard to get back there and you wonder why and the reason is because all the time you're focusing on the result waiting for the result trying to cultivate the result and you're forgetting the causes it's the causes which give rise to the result which are important and eventually that uh, I found out through wasting a lot of time that I should have been all the time focusing on the causes which gave, gave rise to those beautiful states of meditation building up those causes, nurturing them and it's the same with the end of a, another wasa another meditation retreat you look back upon what you've been doing this last three months the reviewing um, part of mindfulness you look back and reflect on how you spent your time 
and when there has been good things being achieved or experienced, to look back not just on the achievements and the experiences, but look back on the causes. What gave rise to that state of peace? What gave rise to that depth of uh, samadhi? What gave rise to those powerful insights? And if one can do that with the that function of mindfulness which reviews, which looks back on things, then one gets to understand this thing we call the Dhamma of cause and effect. And you get some understanding of the path which we have to develop again and again and again. And you'll find that to gain states of deep samadhi, there are certain causes which you have to develop again and again and again. One of those causes which is pertinent to the talk this evening is this constancy of mindfulness and this constancy of effort, this constancy of inclining the mind in that direction. I say it's pertinent now because tomorrow the range retreat finishes and the out of Wassa retreat begins. I mention that because even though it's a, a day, <coughs> a full moon day, in, <coughs> excuse me, the full moon day of October sort of marks the end of a Wassa, that no one is leaving here, none of the monks anyway or novices, and your practice will continue. And so continue that mindfulness, continue that inclination of the mind to peaceful states. Continue the, the arousal of energy. Because otherwise, that if for uh, so many months you allow the mind to go all over the place, if for such a long time you are heedless, then you find when the next range retreat comes around, it takes so long to get back, as it were, in the groove. It's a constancy which you find is one of the powerful causes for success in meditation and insight. The con constancy of inclination to one particular way. After a while you have a feeling for what that inclination is. The inclination towards peace, towards calm, towards relinquishing, nekamma. I remember once just being driven into Perth by an Anagarika who was staying here a couple of years ago. I'm not sure where he is now. But he was asking me, what's the basic cause of success in both Jhana and Magapara? And just uh, immediately what came to my mind, and it was a very beautiful answer, was this word nekama, this renunciation is one of the most powerful causes to give rise to both jhana and magga pala. And indeed that uh, sometime afterwards, I, just, I, I checked as I like to do in the, the Buddha's teachings as recorded in the suttas, and found there in, I forget where it is now, it's in my book somewhere, if anyone is interested, saying that if, if a person uh, cultivates the Vosagga Aramana. 
which is like the the mind. The aramana is a very difficult word to um, explain. You now in in Thai, that is aram. It's like a a state of mind, like a, a state of mind which is not just uh, uh, momentary, but continues for you know maybe many minutes or many hours, like almost like a mood or emotional state or a a, uh, a color of the mind. And if you like uh, develop that sort of mood or that inclination of mind to wasaga means abandoning, giving up, relinquishing. If you develop the mind of relinquishing, of giving up, giving away, in that quote the Buddha said that samadhi becomes easy to obtain. And I like that quote because it shows just the one of the major causes of samadhi, one of the major causes of insight. This inclination to renounce, to give up, to give away. And if you find yourself accumulating things in the world, whether it's accumulating personal possessions, accumulating uh, knowledge, accumulating thoughts, you find that samadhi becomes very difficult to obtain. It's coming very close now to the period when we start thinking about the projects for next year. And again, that I was fortunate to have spent enough time in Thailand and spent my two long years just visiting some of the other monks who are far more knowledgeable and wise than myself and learning from them. Actually, I remember asking Ajahn Chah, you know, what is Tudong all about? What are you supposed to do on Tudong, this period of wandering? And he said that was one of the two things you should do. Go to visit other monasteries and find out how they do things. Listen to the teachings and spend time in solitude. Those three things. And one of the, the monks I went to see was a monk called Ajahn Chai in just north of uh, Chonburi, he had a monastery, what Kauchalak. And uh, as well as that monastery, which when it was first uh, built, he was telling me that there were tigers there. It was uh, quite rough and frugal. But when I went there, it was so developed, it was so comfortable. And I asked to go up to one of his other little branch monasteries, which was a little further in the, the mountains, in Kaukio, he used to be called. That time, imagine Pabakura was staying up there. And uh, going as far as the, the car would go, then you'd walk for about an hour to get up top of the hill. And that was just so frugal. There wasn't even any huts to stay in. Stayed in the mosquito nets, an hour from a very uh, <coughs> makeshift little sala which was just used for eating in. There was a couple of nuns up there who would make the food. They had to send food up. It was just uh, too far to go on arms route. And even actually from the place where I was actually staying in my mosquito net, just only just a, a very little clearing around your, your mosquito net, maybe only a couple of feet to the, the jungle. 
And it was sick jungle, the sort of jungle which is hard to find anymore in Thailand. And it was an hour from where I was staying, even to the the makeshift horn on the top of the mountain where the food was made. And every evening that uh, I stayed with Ajahn Prabhakura there, we had to, after bathing, just pick off the ticks off each other, because every evening you'd get ticks in the uh, the jungle, and if you did not pick them off, if you missed one, you're liable to get fever. It was a pretty rough place, but when I was staying up there, Ajahn Chai came to visit, just seeing how we were. And he told us, and I remember the words because they stuck in my mind all these years. That was 18 years ago, I think. And he said, the biggest mistake I ever made in my life was building up my monastery, making it too comfortable. He pointed to this little uh, small place up on top of the mountain, completely secluded. Very rarely you saw any lay people. He said, this, this is a monastery, this is a place to practice, this is where people are liable to, to uh, gain that which the Buddha pointed out. And I always kept that in mind over these years, to try and keep a lid on the development of, say, this monastery. Because you do find that monks who have too much comfort and convenience, the meditation is not that good. Why? is because they haven't developed the cause of nekama, of giving up, renunciation. There is the world outside, and there is the world of the mind. And if you live too much in one, you find the other one just disappears. If you live too much in the world, the world of the mind becomes almost inaccessible. You get caught up. It's hard to renounce, it's hard to let go of the world outside. You have a body, and the body demands comforts. The body demands this type of food, that type of tea, this type of medicine, this type of hut, this type of cooler, this type of heater. There's no end to the comfort which the body demands. You see some people's homes, just how much money they spend making the, the home comfortable for their body. But is their body comfortable in there? It's so uncomfortable in the great palaces and mansions which I've visited, they have to keep on moving. The little monk sitting under a mosquito net in the jungle can be so comfortable in that mosquito net, just with a bowl and a robe and his little bag next to him, can be so comfortable he can sit still, the body completely satisfied for hour after hour after hour. Where will there be comfort of the body? Wherever will there be satisfaction in the world? Wherever will there be an end the, the things which you want. There's always something else which you want. If someone ever asks you, a lay person, gives you pawarana, is there anything you need? 
Isn't it wonderful when you can answer them and say, no thank you? I've got a bowl, I've got a robe, I've got a hut. What else do I need? Not only does that show that you have developed nekama, it also would inspire the lay community, the lay person who asked you, there is a monk who doesn't need all of these things in the world. They are someone who is different to us. Sometimes I have to battle going into town, going and meeting with lay people from all traditions, to actually to battle, to make them realize that there is a difference between a monk and a layperson. If you don't get respect in Australia, where, when you go anywhere, some ordinary people, it's because they don't see that difference between a monk and a layperson. That difference between a monk and a layperson should be the amount of your renunciation. It's not your robe or your bald head. It's your inclination to give up, the inclination to make do with little, your happiness to accept whatever comes your way without asking, manipulating, wheeling and dealing. When things come your way, most of the time, no thank you. I'm happy with the little I have. It's naycomer, abandoning, giving up. The more you give up, the more you abandon, the easier samadhi is, the easier the jhana states become. The monks, who when they go on tudong, take very little with them. The other monks who gain jhanas. They're the simple monks. Not just taking few possessions, but taking few thoughts and memories and plans. This is also nekama, it's abandoning all the plans and memories and, and little things which entertain you. If you want the mind to be simple, if you want the mind to come together in this beautiful unity of, of jhanas, and give up all of these distractions which you still keep bringing up in the mind. You've got to create the causes, the pure beautiful causes, to be someone who's always giving away, giving away your past, giving away your future, giving away your fantasies, your thoughts, your dreams, Give up, give up, give up, give up. If Mara wants them, give them to Mara. So they're not with you anymore. The whole of meditation is practicing Nekama. It's why the, the attainment of the jhanas is called the attainment of Nekama Sukha. The happiness of renunciation. Anyone who's achieved just that much, the Nekama Sukha, would understand why the Buddha praised Nekama. In fact, thoughts of Nekama are part of the second of the uh, Noble Eightfold Path, the second factor 
Samasankapa. What is Samasankapa? It's thoughts of nekama, thoughts of uh, non-cruelty or hingsa, thoughts of non-ill will, awayapada. The first one is sometimes never expounded upon or never really made much of. The nekama sankapa, the thoughts are like giving up. That's part of the eightfold path. If you don't cultivate that factor of the eightfold path, you're not going to develop the goal which the Buddha taught. You have to develop nekama. In full explanation, that nekama is giving up the karma loka in a Buddha's description of the universe in terms of the three worlds, the karma loka, rupa loka, and the arupa loka. The arupa loka is the immaterial realms where beings are born of perception, sanyamaya kayo. These are the worlds which depend upon the experience of the immaterial jhanas. The rupa loka is where the beings have, as it were, bodies manomaya kaya, made up of mind. The rupa loka, again, these are based on the experiences of four jhanas, the first four jhanas. Once you can experience a jhana, you will understand those two realms. Actually, they're composites of many realms. You'll understand that a being who knows those experiences, when they give up this very coarse and gross body, can actually maintain those states of mind. The very same states of mind which you experience in, in first or second jhana or whatever, you can actually maintain those states of mind for eons, thousands and millions of years. If a person hasn't achieved those states, that seems incomprehensible. But once you understand what mind is and the primacy of mind, this mind is a fundamental part of this thing we call existence, you can understand why, that once in that state, you can feed off it, Beings who are feeding off joy, supported by the joy, continuing just through bliss, eon after eon. These are two-thirds of the cosmos, which the Buddha pointed out, which can only be gained through nekama, through the renunciation of the, the lower realm, the karma loka. Actually, the karma loka, the world of the five senses, the Buddha actually called the hina data. If you want to talk about hina yana, it's the path which leads to rebirth in the karma loka, in the world of sensuality. And sensuality can be refined, it can be gross. It's this world outside. It's the world of, of houses and huts. The world of wives and family, the worlds of cups of tea and nice food, 
That's the world of karma loka. It's the world of your body, of sight, sound, taste, smell, and physical touch. It's the world created by those five senses. And it's a world in which those five senses play and delight. And it's a hard realm to abandon. It can be abandoned. This is a path of renunciation, the very idea of a monk, even in the European Western connotation of a monk, is someone who lives simply. Someone is giving up something. This is what you're giving up. Why do we have things like celibacy, the, the uh, brahmacharya? The brahmacharya means like the higher, the sense of brahma in Pali of being high or supreme. There's the higher faring, the superior faring. If any uh, people ask you whether you're Mahayana or Hinayana practice, say you're, you're brahma yana, just the, the highest, the supreme vehicle, the brahmacharya. Now brahmacharya is, is part of nekama. You're renouncing all sexuality, all sensuality. Renouncing it all. If you're a man, that women just don't turn you on, as they say. You're a woman, you're not concerned about the sensuality of men. The mind has gone beyond that. When you go beyond that, you can go beyond other sensory concerns. The concerns of, of illness and well-being, of pain and pleasure, of beauty and ugliness, delicious and bitter taste. When are you going to be free from those demands of the external senses? When can you not have to worry about what food you eat, of where you live? When can you be free of heat and cold, of pain, of sickness? When will you be free of death? You'll only be free of these things when you renounce this body. I don't mean at death, I mean before that happens. These things, old age, sickness and death, are part of having a body. The delight in the senses is the delight in a body. If you really delight in the, the senses, then you make more bodies. You have children. You're just making more problems in the world. Some people think that's happiness. Some people think that that's what life is all about. Just creating more dukkha for yourself and others. Just to know there is something else in this world, there is something deeper, more profound. Through nekama, through giving up that, you create the causes for the development of the jhanas. Some people like to keep their feet in both worlds. They want their pleasures and they want jhana as well. 
So they want to go on a retreat. They do this, lay people do this. They want to go on a nine-day retreat, experience jhana, but they want to get back quick because they've got a party on Sunday evening they have to go to. They want jhana and they also want to go on their holidays over to Bali. It's impossible to do that. But ask yourself, are you doing the same? Are you still caught up in sensory experience? Are you still caught up in seeing, going places, in food, in material possessions? Is your heart full up or is it empty? If your heart is full up, if you can't even empty out your heart, how can you empty out your mind? To gain a jhana, to gain insight, you have to have emptiness in there. A mind which is uncluttered. Otherwise, when you try and watch the breath, you find that all these other things in your heart will call on you. You have to think about them. They take so much time. They take so much space in your mind. If you can't empty out your, your body from your meditation, it will always be aching, it will always be itching, it will always be stomachache, headache, something or other. You have to let go of all of these things. It takes sadhar, confidence and faith. In the teacher, if you've got no confidence in me, take confidence in the Buddha. So what the Buddha taught, nekamma, a monk who has few possessions, who travels like a bird. A bird, when it travels anywhere, takes only its wings. It doesn't take its walkman, it doesn't take its supply of tea, it doesn't take anything, it just takes its own wings. And that's the ideal of a bhikkhu. If you have like confidence and you aspire to those sorts of ideals, you'll find that you also aspire to the renunciation in the mind. When you sit and watch the breath, you find you can do it. The causes are there. You've developed them. You can let go of the body, even when it aches even when it's afflicted. And you, those of you who've heard me talk before know that even the first year in Thailand, in Wat Nana Chat, when Ajahn Chah was there, he made us every evening, I'd only just arrived, oh well, not just arrived, three or four months from, from England, we had to sit outside about six o'clock in the evening with all the lay people, the monastery was just starting sit out under the trees, doing evening chanting and then sitting meditation for about an hour. And the mosquitoes were terrible. With another monk, he used to count them, Venal Jyotika, he's died, dead now. We used to count the mosquitoes on our arm, the bare arm, bare shoulder, bare head. Could only get up to about 30 or, no, 40 or 50 on your arm all at one time. And then you couldn't notice them anymore because they were just too close together. You couldn't sort of uh, distinguish them. And you couldn't move, you couldn't run away, there was no repellent. 
These were the early days, there was no mosquito coils, they came later. You just had to sit there. And even that irritation, actually it was good that irritation, I thank those mosquitoes because they taught me how to enter samadhi, to let go of the body, just to pay no attention to it whatsoever. That's the only way I survived those, those early months. Even with being sick with fever in hospital, even then you can still let go of the body and enter deep samadhi. You can do this if you really want to, if you develop nekama. Otherwise, when you get fever, when you get irritated, if you don't do this when the body is reasonably healthy, when it's reasonably free from acute suffering, when acute suffering comes to you, which it will eventually to each one of you, when it comes to you that you will have no refuge, that you will suffer, you're getting sicker, older, you're all one year older, this end of the range retreat, the body is closer to its, the agony of dying, are you ready for that yet? Learn how to renounce. Renounce the small pains, first of all. And then you can find you can renounce the big pains. Renounce all your concerns and then you can find you can enter these things called jhana. It's not just for entering jhana for escapism just for the moment. Because through developing nekama and through seeing nekama sukha, you can see karma dukkha. The opposite of nekama sukha is karma dukkha, the suffering of sensuality, the suffering of the world, the suffering of having possessions, the suffering of having things to do in the world, the suffering of having a body to look after, to wash and to scratch and to shave and to feed. If you don't know nekama sukha, you can never see that as suffering. Intellectually, maybe, experientially where it counts, no. You have to be able to see that that world outside is dukkha, as the Buddha said, the first noble truth. Why is it that people have yet to become stream enterers? Why is it that the Dharma has not been seen? Because people have yet to see even the dukkha of the sensory world because they haven't seen the duke of the sensory world, they still play around in it. Still concerned about their body. Still concerned about their food. Still concerned about going here, going there. There's no place to go except inside. No, no way you can overcome the heat and the cold, the itches and the aches and the sicknesses except through Dhamma. No physician will be able to cure you, except the Buddha. The medicine of Dhamma is the only one which really works. All the rest are just temporary, temporary stop gaps. You cure one little sickness or you get it under control for a month or two, then it comes back again, or something else comes up. That's just this body. Its nature is to get sick, to get old and weak, and to die, 
Buddha kept on saying that again and again and again and again. Only when you're sick, when you're aging, when you're actually dying, do you realize this in an experiential way rather than just an intellectual way. It's a problem with uh, even monks. They take these Buddha's teachings, they think about them, and they think that's enough just to learn them, just to chart them, just to argue with about them. There's much more than just knowing these things. It's pajanati, to deep knowing. Parijanati, just knowing them completely all around. Abhijanati, just a profound, super seeing of the Dhamma. Once you start to develop nekama, know the result of nekama, and enter a jhana, you can see just so clearly, you have to be blind and completely stupid to get into a jhana and come out afterwards and to think that there's something here in this world which is worth worrying about, which is worth uh, getting involved in. Just leave this external world just develop the internal jhanas. If you can develop the jhanas and know that much, you get heaps and heaps of insights. When I was talking about the causes for jhanas, I also wanted to talk about the causes for insight as well. Why is it again that sometimes that you can read the Four Noble Truths but you're still not a stream enterer? Why is it you know Anicca Dukkha Anatta? You've heard greater monks than myself give profound talks on these things. You've heard even Arahats teach you individually. Why is it that it hasn't blown apart the defilements yet? There has to be something you're not seeing. It must be it hasn't gone deep enough yet. There must be some cause which hasn't been fulfilled that these things are still beyond you. And I say right here that cause is the Nirvanas have not been fully overcome for long enough. You may have had just moments, flashes, where the five hindrances and the awareness have been suppressed, but not long enough to really get to see the Dhamma. You get into jhanas, you develop those jhanas, and that will be the cause for, for insight happening. As the Buddha said many occasions in the suttas, from samadhi, comes yata bhuta yana dasana samadhi pachaya yata bhuta yana dasana from samadhi comes the seeing of things as they truly are last week I taught I talked about seeing things as they appear to be it's called the vipalasas the distortions of perception thought and view and even with those distorted views, those distorted perceptions, those distorted thoughts, p 
people think, ah, that's the way things really are. That is not yata bhuta yana dasana. It is not caused by samadhi. People can claim insight, but their minds are all over the place. Get into some deep samadhi. The deeper the better. The more powerful the samadhi, the more penetrating the mind when you emerge. And use that penetrating mind, which you will do almost naturally, to look at the karma loka and its opposite, the world of nekama, the rupa loka and arupa loka. See karma dukkha, the suffering which is inherent in sensory experience of the five senses. Compare that to the experience of just pure mind, mind which is released from the external world. Review that and you'll see that a whole bunch of dukkha has now been seen. If you can truly see that, you've got the stuff of anagami, of non-returner. Why would anyone want to return to this realm of the five senses? Why would anyone want a body again? They want the body because, not always that they like the body, because they know nothing else. If you know nothing else than this karma loka, even though you may imagine it to be suffering, well, it's better than nothing. Bhavadanha, the craving just to be, will just choose this karma loka again. As Venal Vimalo used to say, that sometimes that a person will look at a beautiful young lady, or a young lady, she may not be that beautiful, but she'll do. This karma loka, if you don't really know, it's suffering. It's deep suffering. You say, well, it's not perfect, but it will do. And you get reborn here again and again and again in all the different levels of karma loka, from the hell realms up to the Paranimata Wasawati realm, where Mara lives, the human realm, animal realm, Tusita realm, all those realms. Suffering going round and round, never released from samsara. Once the mind has is, is gained the understanding of nekama with the external sensory world, what obstacles are there for jhanas? You develop the alam, the alamana, the, the mood of, of giving up of nekam, of the, the world of the five senses. Bodily itch, give it away, don't scratch. The thought about the body, give it away. Even thoughts, they call them karma vitaka in Pali. These are thoughts which are all caught up with the realm of the five senses. Fantasies, plans, dreams. Where am I going to go tomorrow? That's karma vitaka all of those things, to give them all away. So whenever you see them coming up in your mind, 
know them for what they are. Know them as an obstacle and a hindrance and develop that inclination of the mind through practice, through development, the cause. The cause which is just abandoning, throwing away, giving away all concern in your meditation with the body and its senses. Incline instead to the peaceful, the blissful mind. It also gives you the insight. If you give up that first, the lowest of the worlds, the Hinadhatu, the Kama Loka, the world of the, the external senses, and you go to the world of the sixth sense, through giving up you've gained so much bliss, so much release, so much freedom, you'll be inspired to give up just a little bit more to see if there's more bliss through giving up the last of the worlds, the world of the mind. Once you get into the habit of nekama, you give up more and more and more. You give up a little, you get a little happiness. You give up a lot, you get a lot of happiness. It encourages you to give up everything. Not taking up anything, one is released from the world, from all worlds. It's only then that you know kina jati, that birth is destroyed, the holy life has been lived. There's no more to come. Only then, through complete nekama of everything. This is called freedom. People in the world talk about freedom. They just know fetters. They just know getting caught up in the mesh, in the net, in the snares of the world. They're not free at all. They're completely in the power of external forces. Be free. You have the amazing opportunity practicing in a good monastery, hearing good dhamma, having all the support. Be free. Free yourself of the world. And be careful of all the snares of Mara. Physical possessions, external comfort, coming and going, thoughts. Know these are snares. If they block your meditation, if it means that your meditation isn't powerful and deep, they're snares. Be wise, be intelligent. Know what the Buddha taught. Practice it in your mind when you meditate. See what releases the mind. See what gives rise to deep and profound states of samadhi. Experience the Dhamma. Don't just think about it. Give away, give up. Not only will you get released, will you achieve all these marvelous states which you read about in the books, not only will you find out that how the Buddha taught was a way to gain Nibbana. Sometimes people are just so confused, so many different ways, so many different practices. And if ever you do experience anything, can you go and say, well the Buddha was right, people call you a fool, call you conceited, 
call you narrow-minded. The Buddha's teaching is the only way. As you see in the suttas, things like nekama, things like jhanas, things like developing deep insight, things like putting forth energy, idipadas, sustaining your goal, your your intention to achieve that goal, sustaining it, not just over one rains retreat, not just over ten years. However long it takes, you're going to sustain that inclination until you reach the goal. Make your stand here. Don't give up till you reach something. The sustaining of energy, the sustaining of the application of mind, the sustaining of investigation. Sustain this, this idipad is the great causes for a success and you will achieve. That is the Buddha's promise. These things will occur. If you don't achieve things, check out your idipadas. Which one is missing? Which one is weak? That's why people don't attain. They can put forth immense effort for a week, two weeks on retreat, and then they give up. Or they forget. Don't keep going. Keep up that inclination. Keep up nekama, renunciation. See how much you can let go of. Buddha said, if you're going to talk with one another, talk of like wanting little is good talk. Talk of giving up is good talk. These are things which you should have clearly in your mind. You should honour in your mind. You should respect in your mind. So it becomes a true inclination. And then you'll come up to my hut, one rains retreat, Ajahn Brahm, second jhana today, third jhana. I got stream entry today. Anagami, Arahat, enlightened beings, Westerners, people born outside of Asia. If you really care about the Buddha's teachings, that's what you need to do. To give inspiration, example, teaching to others. If you can't do it, who's going to do it? So please, even though that tomorrow ends a formal rains retreat, don't put off the practice. Even if there are work periods, there are only a couple of hours in some of the days, there's all the afternoons, there's all the evenings, there's all the early mornings. Don't just sleep and waste your life. Get up early. Sit. If you're tired inside, sit outside. Do whatever it takes to develop these idipadas. Otherwise, you'll be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years as a monk and haven't achieved anything. You look back, what a waste of time. Other monks will come up to you and they say, I've got first jhana. Won't you feel embarrassed? 
they've got this and you haven't. You should actually feel embarrassed, you should feel ashamed. All these lay people feeding you, looking after you. What have you done in return? So get it together. These goals which the Buddha taught are delicious, they're wonderful, they're beautiful. They're there for you to get. Ajahn Chah used to say, the, the orchard is planted, the apples are on the trees, you just need to reach up and pick them off. It takes effort to reach up. Get up there and pick them off. They're all there ready for you, thanks to the Lord Buddha. And if you just live in the orchard and never eat an apple, just how stupid you are. You can live 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the orchard, as some monks do, and they never even taste an apple. That's really sad. So, that's my talk for this evening, and hopefully that uh, it will produce some beautiful fruits. Are there any questions or comments about what I just said? Okay. <laughs>